Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentists podcast. And today we're joined by Justin Lee. So Justin is the founder of Focus for Growth. His specialty area is consultative selling and coaching leadership. He's the author of Inspire, Influence and Sell, of which I have a signed copy. Thank you, Justin. And he's soon to be released Inspire, Consult, Sell. Welcome, Justin. How are you doing? Hey, Andy. Thank you very much. Hi, hi Andy. Hi, Chris. Uh, hi, Justin. Well. Good thanks, to see thanks you. Thanks for inviting me. Good, good, good. Don't yeah. you love the word founder? You almost feel you should say it like founder yeah. rather than just like founder. Sort of but it's funny, I'm, I'm reading the book called Grinding It Out at the moment, which is about Ray Kroc oh, and the good. film. The film was called Founder because it's, he's the oh, guy that um, he didn't – well, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a bit of a harsh title because he didn't actually found McDonald's. It was the McDonald's brothers yeah, that found yeah. McDonald's, but he was the guy turned that it. turned it from being a 15-cent – you know, few outlet burger business to the conglomerate that it is today. Um, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, I like, yeah. The word founders. Did got you read from, it in your head as founder? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, that, that deep meaning. You visualised it exactly, exactly. So just to kick us off, Justin, could you kind of? I'm always interested in people's pathways of how they got mm. into dentistry. What was what was yours? How did you end up in dentistry? Oh, I took the boomerang approach. So ah. I was in dentistry. And then I left dentistry and then I came back to dentistry. So uh, 31 years ago, I trained as a dental technician. What were you, eight or nine? I say he must have been like eight. I thought, was that a school? <laughs> uh, that means more to me than you can possibly realise. <laughs> no, we can stop this now. Justin's got all the answers. Thank you very Justin. Love to see you. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it, <laughs> Justin Lee has left the building. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was um, let straight out of school, so I was about 18, actually. But I, I qualified as a dental technician. I served four, four and a half years with a laboratory that was part of a practice. So I saw kind of the, the, the clinical side of dentistry and oh. the technical side. But at the end of that apprenticeship, I realized it wasn't a career I wanted to pursue any further than having had my qualification. So I, I ended up in dental sales. I was going to say I, I moved into dental sales. I, I stumbled into dental sales and I started working for a, a quite a large retail company who is still about today. They're based in Dundee in Scotland. And that was my first foray out of the lab into a sales environment where I was calling on dental practices, dental labs. And I but was that's quite that- that's quite a move in itself because mm. I always mm. have kind of dental labs back in the day when you were there. There'd have been yeah. you know lots of wax, and you were tucked away in a back room, and you weren't really mm. exposed to the population because. But it was that so that's, to go from yeah. go from that kind of world where you were tucked away in a room to going to sales, which is right at the front end. That's mm. a massive shift in itself. I bet you had to buy a suit. <laughs> I did, that was the first time I ever owned a suit, Chris. You're absolutely right. A suit and a tie. <laughs> I bought my first grey suit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I did. And um, it, it was interesting, actually. I, I don't think I gave it as much consideration as perhaps I should have done <laughs> because <laughs> I literally went for an interview with uh, the sales director and one of the sales managers for the company, and they sold me on the job. 
I think because I'd turned up in a suit and not my lab coat, <laughs> I looked the part. Covered in dust. <laughs> yeah, there, was, there was no dust. So like, he's the first guy that's come to interview without any dust on his job. <laughs> he's um, got the job. He's got the job. <laughs> he's, he's in. He's in. <laughs> Check. Um, and so I uh, yeah, got this job working for Right, right Health Group, yeah. it was called at the time. Uh, great company. Uh, I really enjoyed my time there. But what, what I recognised was that I was kind of just winging it. So I spent 18 months with rights, feeling a little bit um, like I like I was just winging every day. I wasn't quite sure what to do. Is that that imposter syndrome that uh, yeah. Adele was talking about? <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, comparing me with Adele, I'll take that as well. This <laughs> just gets better and better today. Um, but I, so I had 18 months, and by the end of it, I'd been relatively successful. I was running a good territory, had some great customers. People seemed to like me, but I always felt a little bit like I could do better and and kind of do a bit more. So then I managed to get a job with Dentsply. Uh, and at the time, Dentsply, one of, the, one of, if not the largest dental company in the world. I remember thinking, you know, I remember seeing the portfolio and the products. And I wasn't with Dentsply very long and they put me through a sales training program. And that training program just was, it was a bit like someone turning on multiple light bulbs. It was like, this is how I can take a consistent approach to selling. Here's how I can engage customers more effectively. Here's how it works, really. And that that was really transformational. So um, that enabled me to just perform at a higher level, be a better salesperson, manage relationships better. So everything kind of changed at that point. And I was with Dentsply for about four years, and then uh, I was invited to go and work for 3M. So I joined 3M in 99. It's still in dentistry at this stage. And I was with 3M for a couple of years in their dental business. I ended up managing their um, channel and distributors. So I managed the distribution channel and I managed some of their large corporate accounts, which kind of gave me a new perspective on selling to larger businesses, you know, larger corporates, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then in uh, 2002, I moved out of dentistry into medical sales and became a sales manager. And that was when kind of things really shifted again because I went from being a salesperson to being a, a, a sales leader, you know, leader uh, of a team. And I thought that, uh, I guess, I thought I could just tell people what to do and they'd do it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not interchangeable, are they? <laughs> no, no. Being a great salesman doesn't mean you're a great sales leader. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And it took me a little while to figure that out. And you know, first, probably the first again, you know, first couple of years, a bit like when I was first in sales. First couple of years was quite tough because it, you know, the things I was doing weren't working, and I couldn't work out what you know how 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 had I been so successful there? Uh, okay, it take a lot of effort and a lot of um, you know development, but how how come it wasn't working as a sales manager? And then I w- I went on a coaching course and a leadership development course and and teaching learning i should say learning how to take a coaching style of leadership mm. very much in the, in the way i learned how to take a consultative way of selling once i got those two kind of skills and approaches uh, perfected actually everything changed I, I recognized it wasn't about me it was about the team it was about how i get help them to change from the inside out not trying to push change from the outside in did you enjoy it justin before you kind of had this kind of revelation of, of how to do it and how to get better results mm. were, were you still enjoying sales before or was it something that frustrated you i, I tell you i was highly anxious when i if, if, if someone met me 
back then when I was first in sales and when I was first in leadership, you'd have kind of sensed that there was a, there was an anxiety about me. Mm. Um, and I it wasn't conscious. I wasn't aware. I don't, I don't know how aware I was of it. I was just trying to get through the situation, trying to kind of mm. figure it out. And, and I think that's one of the things that I've learned. I, I work with a coach and I work with, um, you know, other business uh, partners and, and other leaders. And uh, it's really interesting when you identify other people that have already kind of either walked the path that you're trying to walk on or they've figured out something you haven't figured out and they can show you the way. You, you go from feeling like you're just kind of scrabbling around in the dark to actually starting to put in place a plan that you're mm. more confident is going to deliver mm. what you need to deliver. Yeah, we, I, we, I think that's probably why I've ended up in the running the business I'm running doing what I'm doing because mm. one one I realized how tough it was kind of trying to figure it out myself and two once you've gained that experience and knowledge actually you know passing it on sharing it with other people is really rewarding because you yeah. can help other people get to the results they want much more quickly and much more effectively so um yeah that, so my career with 3M was um, I, I went into business leadership after the sales leadership and I ran multiple businesses for them, uh, all outside of dentistry. And then in 2017, I left the corporate world and, into, and retrained as an executive coach. So I got a formal coaching qualification. And then in 2018, I set up Focus for Growth. And I started working with all sorts of different clients from my from my business network. But over the last uh, three, four years since running the business, I've kind of become more and more attracted back into the dental market. And something like 80% of my clients now are either dental industry or, or dental practice groups. Mm. So it's quite, wow. um, it's quite a tra- transition back into dentistry. But it's also one of those things that uh, I, I had left it because of the requirement to leave it uh, in 3M. But having come back, it's made me recognize just how much how much dentistry as, as a practice and as a profession really um, means to me and how much I enjoy it. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased to be back. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's what we, we've said to a number of people, I mean, it's a bit like, um, excuse the football analogy, and not a great one for me being a gooner, um, and definitely not one for you being Man United, but it's a bit like Jürgen, isn't it? You know, Jürgen, I don't think he was a very good player, but he's a brilliant manager. He gets yeah. the best out of his team. Whereas someone like Oli, yeah. who was a good player, has obviously not done so well yeah. with getting it out of out mm. of the team and I think the hardest thing I think sometimes is what you've done is to recognize that rather than just keep trying to do the same old thing because there's there's no no point is it you might be a great salesman but if you can't actually manage a team you're you're never actually going to fulfill anything because you're not selling directly (laughs) you're not managing and motivating your team so you sort of set yourself up to fail really i think corporate structures lend themselves to that because typically when you become a manager a director you know you tend to earn more money and those people tend to manage people and so you end up moving away from the bit that you're trained and skilled to do because you're increasing in seniority, mm. which means more money, more responsibility. But then you're doing a job you're not equipped and trained to do. And I guess the difference for you is you sort of sort out, you know, courses and programs to support you in that growth. So you felt comfortable in those roles. But there's so many people out there that don't have that support and are doing roles in a leadership yeah. position or a management position where they were good at what they did that led to their promotion, but yeah. that, that, that promotion leads to it, 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 well, it puts you in an exposed did, position. Did you source those courses <laughs> yourself, Justin, or were they sort of put through 
3M or did you think, well, actually, no, I need to learn myself, so I'm going to go and hunt these things down? A combination is the honest answer, Chris. I, um, so when I first joined um, Denseply, I actually uh, funded myself uh, and sought uh, an institute of management diploma. So I used to go to evening classes at a, right. at a kind of community college, and I was there with all sorts of other people learning how to uh, manage businesses, yeah. how to set expectations, how to deal with people, um, which actually was really enjoyable because because – I funded that myself. It felt, um, I, I guess I was more committed to it, mm. uh, which was a good thing. But the sales training generally was funded by the organisations. Right. The coaching training was funded by uh, 3M and, and the leadership development programme. But then I qualified as an NLP practitioner in the middle, mid-2000, oh, about 2005, okay, right. 2006. Yeah, and I, and I funded that myself, found that myself, because it was a, an interest for me. Uh, and the coach training that I did uh, in 17, 18, uh, I, I funded myself hmm. and found for myself. And even this year, I'm... Um, I'm on an entrepreneur's business uh, development program, right. kind of trying to figure out, you know, how, how do you take, a, I guess, a more structured asset-driven yeah. approach to business beyond just, you know, kind of tearing around like we all find ourselves doing from time to time. It's, so it's, it's quite interesting. I'll tell you what's interesting, isn't it, is that, you know, to people who are listening to this, uh, it's rare that you're successful just by being successful. You know, it's a bit like, well, they've been a brilliant band or whatever it is. And the answer is they've been five years practising to oh. get to that point. You know, I can remember, what's that? Is it Arnold Palmer with the, um, the more I practise, the luckier I yeah. get? Yeah. And, I, and I think that's yeah. just what you just said sort of sums it up really in the fact of you can always learn from mm. someone else or something mm. else to build mm. your business and, and the way that you progress mm. further. But it's mm. our people, <laughs> do people want to do that? And then they mm. potentially get frustrated because they've never delivered oh, absolutely. to their true potential. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and for you, Justin, sales, sadly, as soon as you say the word sales, people will conjure up in their mind a, a figment of what it means, isn't it? It's it's you know, it's dodgy double glazing salespeople, it's car salespeople, you know, trying yeah. to sell you a dodgy car. It's that uh, f- f- through your experience, how have you seen the perception and the view of sales change over the years? Because well, my question. take is I think within dentistry, I think kind of, you know, it's it's no longer a dirty word. But roll back 10, 15 years. And and if you mention the word sales in well, dentistry, people, there was a, a degree of people really affronted. Yeah, they move the, away from you. Exactly. That that was kind of um, unpleasant, almost distasteful. What, what what's your take on it? Because you've obviously been at the mm-hmm. the sharp end of this world for for you know decades. Yeah, do you know, I still, I, I still think, yeah, I have, I have, you're right. Um, Despite how you look. <laughs> Thank you for the caveat, Andy, I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> do you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I still think, even today, there is, there's a negative association with the word selling. Once yeah. you get down to selling, even I, I'm a sales trainer, <laughs> even I kind of think, does it feel like selling? Do I want it to feel like selling? Here's here's the thing that here's the distinction for me, um, and 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 we'll we'll unpack some stuff here because I think it's really important. Uh, the, the first is to reimagine what it means to you. So for me personally, I, I even though I'm a sales trainer, I don't see myself as someone who teaches people to sell. I see myself as someone who teaches people to communicate more effectively and understand other people. Because in that understanding of other people, in that true in that true ability to park yourself, understand the other person completely, really get 
into kind of their world, their problems, their challenges, their priorities, their situation. In that understanding comes your ability to influence. Until you truly understand the other person, you can't influence them because you're just throwing stuff at them that may or may not stick. And so th this is something that isn't, it isn't always uh, inherent within sales training courses. So there are courses where it is more about, you know, craft your pitch, learn to, you know, use your words to shape and influence other people's thoughts and behaviours. And, and, and for me, th there may be some uh, value in that, but actually the, the most authentic route is to understand the other person, really kind of cultivate the skills it requires to build trust, get the person to open up, get them to tell you what they're really looking for, tell you what their greatest fears are. And from there, you can then genuinely say whether or not you can meet those needs mm, mm. and be honest about it. If you can't, then just say, Do you know what, mm. actually, I think the best option is for you to look somewhere else or let me point you to another service that might be more useful or valuable for you. And that creates even greater credibility. I was going to say, there's massive power and credibility Huge. by saying, I just don't Huge. think we're a good fit. I don't think yeah. I can help you with this. Yeah. 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 Two ears and one mouth. Yeah. That's why you've got two ears and one mouth. Absolutely. Listen more and speak less. Yeah, but, but you know, <laughs> interestingly, Chris, that's not natural for us. When, mm. you, when you look at the way the mind works, you look at how most of us think and feel about ourselves, we tend to default to our own position. Being selfless and, and, and switching from our own perspective to someone else's is, is, quite a, a, is quite an intention that we have to set to do that because most of the time we're more interested in, in ourselves. And, you know, I've, I've been guilty of that uh, many times throughout my career and my life, and, and it takes a lot of conscious effort to switch the focus. I'll tell you what's and, interesting, Justin. When it, it's sort of that... That fits really nicely. That sort of, uh, do you remember? Because uh, we've obviously done loads of bank sales training and all that, you know, lots yeah. of different people telling you lots of different things, sort of comes down to the same thing, but they do it in different styles. Mm. But I can remember that, that the role play, you know, has now um, terrified people so much that now it's become a conversation rehearsal, I think was the last thing I heard. <laughs> but actually, that fits mm. really well in the fact of, look, just talk to people and have a conversation. Yeah. They, yeah. Don't assume. I, I, I think it's great. You're absolutely right. And, and I'll tell you the other thing that happens is, as a natural consequence of that. You can get yourself to think, actually, it's not selling. It's about understanding the other person and just mm. checking whether or not I can help them. If I can, I'll offer some support. If I can't, I'll signpost them to, a, to the most appropriate resource or, or service. Right? When you change your perspective and think like that, actually lowers the pressure. I, mm -hmm. I, I don't feel like I've got to pitch someone or convert them or, or <laughs> yeah. have a conversation. You have got to get a sale. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I just I just reduce all of that, um, you know, unconscious pressure that exists in the relationship and actually things just get easier. Mm. But uh, as well as that change in perspective, the, the other perspective is thinking about how I, how I perceive myself and how I perceive selling to people generally. And, and if I can switch that focus to actually selling is understanding the other person and then understanding whether mm. or not there's a fit, that makes me lean into the idea and the concept of selling. So I actually, I think of myself as someone who can do that, right? Because I want to understand what someone else wants and see if I'm a fit. And that's that psychological shift that I make enables me to then start taking an approach to take an approach that will be more based on the customer's or patient's needs and to be able to follow a process and a structure that enables me to be more mm. successful. So the two are interlinked, the way that we think about it and the way we approach it and then how we feel about ourselves doing it. And when I when I work with uh, teams, we running, whether it's sales training or coach training, one of the first areas we start with is mindset. 
we just get really clear on the kind of mindset that we need to have uh, as we approach situations, whether that's with patients, whether it's with team members, whether it's with um, uh, customers or partners, but actually thinking about how we manage ourselves first is really important because that confidence that we bring uh, is is transmitted to the other party. Mm. So if we manage ourselves first and we build that self-confidence and self-belief, then other people are much more likely to buy into us. Whereas if we don't do that and we go in feeling a little bit wobbly or shaky, as I learned throughout my career, actually <coughs> people kind of get this intuition, there's something mm. not quite right about this. And you find yourself almost undermining your own mm. ability to perform before you've even got started. So we have to start with mindset. It's interesting. It's a... It, it's a life skill, isn't it, as well? You know, mm. it's not just a learning about selling stuff. Mm. But, you know, you can get to understand who you are. I know we're getting a bit, potentially a bit deep, but the answer is mm. it, it then puts everything else and frames it into perspective. Just a, just a quick one. Um, you mentioned NLP. Did you have negative or do you get negative feelings? Because obviously NLP is sort of seen sometimes as almost like mind games and you're playing with people by using words that uh, turn them into automatons who will then sign up. Did, does, did you get any negative about doing the NLP? Because I think it's quite, I think it's a fascinating area. Yeah. Mm. I, I, the only reason I didn't, Chris, is because they turned me into an automaton on the way in. So I was like... <laughs> It all went, it all went. Because I did it, it was 2005 when I um, studied NLP. I think it was quite quite early in the cycle. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 15, 16 years ago. And when I was doing it, it was quite, uh, you know, people like Paul McKenna had just started to come out as as trainers. And there were some big names in the US uh, running NLP trainings. I think I did it out of curiosity because I was interested. I was interested in understanding how, and I'd read up before I did the, the training. Uh, it was one of the things that I think I, I'd struggled a bit with kind of uh, managing myself in difficult situations, a bit of anxiety, a bit of um, self-confidence in certain uh, situations. And and I thought that NLP would be a way to help me understand how to manage myself mm-hmm. better. And, and it was. And I mean, it's interesting because if you look at, when you look at the structure of what NLP teaches you, it just basically it shows that, you know, the mind and the body are connected through the nervous system. So what we think in our minds, we feel in our bodies. And, and actually, it starts to help you manage yourself more effectively through the, through, through the mind rather than the body. So you don't have to cope through other, um, you know, perhaps more negative um, vehicles, you know, a- alcohol or, or drugs or whatever. Actually, you can start to prime yourself on a regular basis through mm. the thoughts that you have. You start mm. to direct the mind, mind and the thoughts, and it just changes how you think about yourself and, and what you're capable of in the world. And it takes some practice, and it's it's more like um, you know the NLP is neuro linguistic programming. Uh, what I've learned over the years, it's less about reprogramming; it's more about conditioning. So you can't just go, right, I'm going to go from that to that, you know, because I've learned this principle. Actually, change change takes a little more cultivating than that. So we might learn something and then we might have to practice quite a few times before we say, okay, I've made the transition from here to here. Mm-hmm. But, but I found it incredibly valuable, not only personally, but from, you know, a client perspective, from a team leadership perspective, from a business management perspective, the principles are really solid. And um, if anybody's interested in it, I'd, I'd encourage you, you know, look, look it up. It really can uh, be impactful on, on you personally and professionally. 
No, brilliant. Thanks, oh, Justin. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. And you, and you, what you talk about is kind of this blend of mentoring, coaching, and consulting when mm. you kind of work with your your clients. So, from, from a team's point of view, how does that kind of come together? How does that kind of manifest itself in how those teams change the way they work, and what, what does it look like in a, in a practice? Mm. So it, it tends to be um, program based. So we we cover some key principles and structure that that we know is going to make an impact on either a practice or a business team. And so uh, normally that will be either in you know the direction of helping people have better consultative sales conversations, whether they be with patients or customers, or it will be about how leaders make an, an improvement in the way that they lead teams, and that generally will lead to a coaching approach. But sometimes, you know, people um, people have uh, some knowledge and experience, and it's just about helping them to see how they apply what they already know. Because knowing something and doing something consistently are two different things, mm. as, we, as we know, right? Mm. Uh, and when someone knows what to do but they're not doing it, generally speaking, they need coaching. Right. So, so if you know something and I start telling you a game that you already know, you actually build up resistance to it. If I if I take a coaching approach that helps you unpack what you know, understand how to apply it more effectively, and then help you with accountability to uh, apply and implement, you're much more likely to adopt it and adopt it sustainably. So that's that's kind of the coaching approach. There are times when um, in a in whether it's in a leadership role or in a you know communications uh, position that actually we don't know the the optimal way to do something. And when we don't know the optimal way to do something, we need to be shown. And and so we're trained or mentored in the optimal approach. And and so we go training or mentoring to teach people things they don't know and then coach them to implement. Okay. Um, And then finally, there's there are situations where you, you know, in a busy practice or business, uh, there'll be lots of things going on. um, and there's, a, there's an approach that is kind of generating results, but actually what people find is they can't see like the most optimal or effective way to implement everything and, and stack it up. Mm. And that's where consulting is really valuable because if you bring someone into a business who understands, understands the business, understands the moving parts, can almost take an observer position, see what you can't see. And then say, you know, if you were able to just join this piece up over here with this piece, or if this bit here that you do once in a while, if you did that consistently across all patients, all interactions, across all members of the team, then you would get some results that would start to stack and scale. Mm. Uh, That consulting approach, to be able to take that kind of almost helicopter view of the business, be able to see what you can't see, point it out to you, and then offer some mentoring advice combined with some coaching from implementation, all of a sudden you get these kind of layers of value that start to improve performance. So we see to that, that's kind of why there's those three approaches because not there isn't a one size fits all. But what we find is that people then become more aware, you know, awareness is the first step to change. Once they're more aware, they can start to become more intentional about the approach they take. And once that approach starts to work by having some coaching and having some support to implement Mm. and gain consistency, then then results just seem to improve. And as does the patient experience, you know, practice growth uh, just kind of starts to happen almost organically. Do you find there's like... um and I know everyone is different. Is this sort of like an average time it takes for an influence to occur? Because I presume there must be some people who um, you rock up and basically the answer is they're never going to change. <laughs> so you might as well just 
say thanks very much I'm off uh, and the unteachables and, uh, yeah you know is, is, there, is there a sort of average that says you know as long as I've got an open spirit and, and I've got a, a principle and, and the team and I imagine there's some saboteurs within that team that you've sort of got to either convert or or move on is, is there sort of an average time or is it, it there's not really it's just sort of like depends really so practice does uh, depend on it does depend on the person and the team. You're absolutely right, Chris. Uh, I, to be honest with you, anything less than six months, uh, I, I think, is is you know is incredibly ambitious. Uh, change takes time. People mm. need time to process it, work through, um, work through the improvements that they're going to make. Figure out what's going to work, what's not going to work, because you know not everything doesn't work every time for every customer. There's it's there's some figuring out and mm. adjusting and um, improving along the way. So six to twelve months really is is an ideal window. Uh, that would be my advice. And anybody who's taken on any significant change will probably be thinking, yeah, do you know what? To do something, to achieve something great within six months is, is very difficult. Mm. Get out to six to 12 months and actually you do start to see some real uh, improvements. I think it's that thing you talk about. You you want any change that comes through to be sustainable. You want to be mm. in, in your embedded behaviour as opposed to, oh, I've learned a trick. It works, and I just keep doing it. That, but, but, but that's the world we live in, isn't it? Everybody wants everything now. Yeah, everybody wants mm. something, something quick. Well, there, there was a chapter in your book, your Inspire Influence Cell book, that I was drawn to, which is about rapport. Because um, yes. yeah. you know, within our business, we talk a lot about building rapport with clients, and, and it goes back to that: understand who they are. You know, the more you understand about them. And mm. we worked with a lady years ago, and, and she, she had this line that when she started talking to people, she said, "I'm curious," and then went on to say the thing that she was going to ask. Yeah. But rapport and curiosity they're kind mm. of one and the same aren't they if you're yeah. interested in people and you just yeah. keep asking questions you're kind of building rapport but you're doing it in a way where you're just learning so much yeah 100 percent, andy yeah yeah it's, it's really good uh, insight that there's in the book you will you'll note uh, that i talk about rapport and when i run programs with um, with teams and businesses we talk about rapport as, as like a first principle mm. And it's the first principle of influence because uh, rapport effectively connects us with somebody else. And until that connection happens, there's inherent resistance mm. to take on board advice or to be coached or to uh, to be influenced. So we have to connect first. It's the first step. And I, I talk about rapport. There, there are three occasions when rapport happens. Okay. The, the rapport happens in, in, when we experience one of three things. The first is that we experience that someone else is the same as us. If someone's the same as us, we'll naturally drift into rapport. Okay, uh, And you'll notice it now in conversations you have with somebody. When you have a conversation with somebody early on, you'll notice there's a lot of, oh, I know that person, or, oh, I've done that, oh, I've been there, oh, I've had that. And, and what that is, is it's the mind trying to create a common connection. I want to be the same as you because then I'm in rapport, right? We don't. We do it so subconsciously and so naturally, we sometimes don't even realise. So I'm the same as you is a, a really quick and easy way to build rapport. But you can't, obviously, you can't always guarantee that you're the same as someone else, right? Because we're <coughs> Um, the second way that rapport happens is if is if I feel that I already have respect or admiration for somebody, 
It's, it's why, you know, social media influencers, uh, celebrities get people that feel like they know them because the, the minute I have that admiration for you, I'm, I'm, I'm immediately in rapport. I feel like I should connect. I feel like you should connect with me and, I, and I'm kind of almost bowled over by the experience. But, of course, you know, none of us are celebrities uh, yet. So we, so we can't guarantee that either. And then the third, the third uh, experience that creates deep rapport is if I think you are interested in me, right? If I think you are interested in me, I will naturally develop rapport with you. And when you think about it, of those three that I've just described, they're the three ways in which we build rapport. There's only one of them you can guarantee, and that is to be interested in someone else. So as leaders of practices, to be interested in our teams, cultivates rapport, deepens relationships. As providers of clinical services to patients, the number one thing we can do to connect deeply with the patient is just start by being interested. How are you? How are you feeling at the moment? How are you finding things? How, how's life? <laughs> you know, a few simple questions will immediately deepen establish and deepen rapport with your patients and we should remember the power of doing that at every interaction every time we reconnect with someone we should be re-establishing rapport because that's the place where influence happens no connection no influence and and, and i mean influence in, in as positive a sense yeah. as possible and also i think it's surprising sometimes how quickly you can build rapport yeah, people mm. think it might take, you know, minutes or, or hours or days. But sometimes, at least in, in practice, back to what you just said about if you feel you've got a connection with somebody on some level on something, mm. rapport can come really fast. Very yeah. recently, the um, yeah. the Duke of Edinburgh passed away and there were lots of people talking about him and his life. And the um, the, the journalist and presenter and writer, Giles Brandreth, spent lots of time with the Duke of Edinburgh. And he said, whatever they went on official engagements together, um, obviously the Duke of Edinburgh met so many people, it was really ridiculous and he always said to people so what's keeping you busy these days and that was his way of not exposing whether he'd met the person before or not because he couldn't remember if he'd met mm. but Giles Brandon said in terms of building rapport it immediately took you to a place where I'm interested in you and it's now about you not me and yeah. he he took that out as being such a mm. sweet line of mm. you know I want to know about you and what's keeping you busy but it also rounds off the issue of I'm not quite sure if we've met before mm. uh, <laughs> but as a one liner I, I thought that is a, a really smart way of going about it that is just just on sales, Justin. Also, you you you're this is your your art in terms of what you're doing. Uh, you know, Chris and I have this view that we're all in sales. You know, every day. You know, whether yep. it's getting kids to eat their dinner, get people to school on time, whatever it is, we're we're, we're all in sales. What would you say are the three key ingredients to be to be good at sales? So I think that's three key ingredients. So the f the first is the ability the ability to park yourself and focus on the other person. No, number one, uh, if, if you can't do that, you're going to struggle. Um, so park yourself, focus on the other person. The second then is to um, be able to listen and understand what you're told. Mm -hmm. and, and listening is a skill <coughs> and, and it's not a skill that many of us are taught. Mm. Uh, and so we have to be able to listen because that that will enable us to truly understand the other person. And then the third is to be able to uh, connect, <coughs> connect the dots for people and be able to not only understand what you've heard, but then be able to match what it is you can provide, whether that be, you know, dental 
services, whether it's uh, referrals, whether it's you know a team that supports uh, the patient in the journey, but being able to then connect the dots with what you've heard from the patient so that you can you know in, explain in a way that's compelling to them why they would choose to have you know that treatment or, or service with your practice. So you've got you know park yourself, think about the other person listen deeply so that you can understand and then connect the dots between what you offer and what they've told you they need. Those, those three things are incredibly powerful in, in selling. Mm. I like the listen mm. one. I think we say to some uh, our guys, yeah, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Mm. <laughs> you know, you can, yeah. if you, you can, yeah. unless you really hear what that person's saying, <laughs> mm. you're just listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I suppose the great thing is these are kind of, fairly primeval skills they just need honing yes. anyone anyone can do it um mm. because uh, yeah i think lots of people are scared of sales fearful of it and, and i'm not sure whether people are actually scared of sales or whether their fear is failure and rejection i think mm. with a lot of people it's actually understanding what it is they're mm. being asked to do and being equipped to do it i don't, I don't think it's actually sales that scares no. people i think it's that kind of rejection or, or not being successful they've just been told to do it and i think that's yeah the, you know what you're what you saying justin's quite right you've got to get people sort of engaged with the process mm-hmm. i mean i love it when you go and buy something and some guy goes through a sales script <laughs> <laughs> and it's like yep yeah, you're gonna ask me now if i'd like yeah. the uh, added warranty <laughs> because that's probably point four on your list. Here it comes. <laughs> and then, uh, no thanks, they go all right. <laughs> like, it always makes me giggle because yeah. obviously we're when we did all our training, you know, there's a process and there's a structure and all that sort of stuff. But obviously they've got some poor kid in Curry's who they haven't really done any training at all, but they've given him a list. <laughs> yeah. These are things you need to ask. And if yeah. you can't remember it, just have it under the desk. So, so you can <laughs> lean back and see what that's, questions that's, are. That's the with. worst end of sales, it isn't is. it? That, yeah. and, and and that's where it, it gets, yeah. gets the bad, the bad. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so we've already been we've already been treated. Your Inspire Influence Sell book is already out, Amazon bestseller, and you've got your um, Inspire Consult Sell coming out soon. Is there a date when that's going to be available for people? Uh, I'm aiming for the first of January or second of January. Probably, I won't be doing it on New Year's Day. Um, it, it, yeah, I've basically taken that book, uh, Andy, and thank you for reading Inspire Influence Cell. I'm, I'm really pleased with your feedback, and that's uh, yeah, no, great. You've also seen. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm allowed to say this. You've seen an early copy of Inspire Consult Cell because you very kindly read it for me uh, <laughs> and provided me with a praise quote. Andy, so I really appreciate that. Um, but it, it, it's due. Yeah, so it will be done by the end of the year. I probably won't launch until early Jan. Sure. Uh, but, but effectively, I've taken the structure and principles from Inspire Influence Cell and tailored it for dental professionals. So dentists, you know, orthodontists, uh, implantologists, anybody who's a specialist dentist or a TCO, anybody who's having those conversations with the patient and they want to, I guess, take a more structured approach to a consultative sales conversation. And, and it's, uh, it's feedback, early feedback from people who have read it is, has been really uh, exceptional. I'm, I'm, the way it works is similar to the book, the original Inspiring from Cell book. So there will be uh, the book, there'll be a program, there'll be a scorecard, actually, that, that's live at the moment. So if anybody is interested in their own, is kind of testing their ability to have those consultative conversations, uh, I'll send you a link afterwards. We can put it in the show notes. Yeah, um, that'd be great. Brilliant. Yeah, it, it's a free assessment. So basically you uh, click on the link. It's called the Patient Experience Scorecard. 
It gives you 36 assessment statements that you can then uh, rank yourself against. And at the end of that, you'll get a, a summary report that tells you how you fared. You'll get a percentage score in five key areas. And, and that scorecard uh, report then becomes something that you can use to guide your personal development when it comes to, you know, consultative communication. That's really cool. Mm. Uh, it's, it's a really nice tool, actually. And it just kind of leads, gives people some options. If somebody wants to read the book, get a bit of direction, figure it out for themselves, uh, as mm. I spent, you know, many years in my career doing, absolutely, you know, um, it, it's, a, it's a series of resources where you can do that for yourself. Um, if somebody wants to take a more structured approach, wants to come on a program, then there's options to do that as well. So we try and really think about, you know, if someone wants to do it themselves, they can. Somebody wants an online program, there's that option. Mm. Somebody wants to work more closely with me, you know, as, as a group, then they've mm. got the option to do that as well. So we kind of give them layers uh, of options. Oh, yeah, now, if you could let us have the link, we'll mm. definitely drop that in the notes um, yeah. so that it'll appear on the podcast. Because I think with scorecards, it's great, especially if you've been doing something for a while, because mm. you might know that you're having a degree of success but you don't quite know why you don't yeah, know the yes. bits you're good at it just happened yeah and also the bits that you're not good at but by making a few small tweaks you might go from being great to amazing yeah. absolutely um, yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> oh no, that's great that's, that's yeah that's yeah that'd be idea. brilliant um mm. thank you justin it's been it's been really useful i've, I've learned loads it's been it's been it's been enlightening it's been a very very great chat we we always finish up in the same way we always ask our guests two two questions at the end so mm-hmm. the first one we always ask is if you could be the, a fly on the wall in a certain situation uh what would that situation be what would you like to look down on and observe a, a situation that's unfolding before you yeah that's a, that's a great question um so so i don't know have you been watching uh, episodes of the crown uh, yes, on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I, I've been watching. I, I've watched, we, my wife and I we've watched it. We've binge watched it from end, end to end, uh, and, and love it. And it, one of the things that actually uh, kind of really made me smile was the Queen's conversations with the Prime Minister on a weekly yeah. basis. And um, I, I must admit, I was curious when when Boris Johnson got in as <laughs> Prime Minister. I must. I was. I was, I was thinking. I wonder what the Queen thinks. <laughs> having to meet with him on a weekly basis, I would love. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in that first meeting with the Queen and, and the bumbling Boris Johnson, because I can just imagine the awkwardness. Would she reach going. over and do his hair? Yeah, <laughs> smooth it down. Yeah, yeah. for goodness' sake, Boris, come on. Put a bit of gel in it. Sort Boris. yourself out. <laughs> oh so no, that, that, that would be, be good. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that would be really good. That. one. And then, and, then, and then our follow-up is: if you could meet somebody, if you could sit down and have dinner with somebody, uh, who would that be? They could be still with us, somebody from the past, you know, real, fictional. real, real fictional, whatever, whatever takes your fancy. I, I tell you, someone who fascinates me um, for, for a number of reasons. Um, I'd love, I would love to uh, sit down and have dinner with Martin Luther King. Mm. Um, I, I just, I, I heard. Um, I heard something recently that apparently on the morning of the of the I Have a Dream speech, uh, he was in, Martin Luther King was in front of this huge crowd, huge <clears> audience, <throat> and actually the, the presentation he was giving wasn't going down very well. People were kind of going, you know, what's he trying to say? We're not really sure uh, that, that this, is, this is kind of connecting with us. And then someone in the audience who had who was one of his supporters and had followed him in his, in the thousands of sermons he'd given across, you know, thousands of churches across the US said was shouting from the crowd, "Tell them the dream, Martin. Do the dream speech. Do the dream speech." And and it and he never planned to do it. 
But it was wow. a speech that he'd given a th- like over a thousand times across lots of churches across the US. And then he started with, I have a dream. And it, because it was so personal to him and so powerful, uh, you know, a connection to what he really stood for, the speech unfolded and the rest was history. And I, it was just the the perseverance and tenacity that he went through to get to mm. that point. It's a bit like you said earlier, Andy, you know, all these people that you see as successful and you think they've just turned up and got that, where did they come from? Yeah. They've done tens of thousands of rehearsals of hours. Of, they've refined their craft. They know their, their, their art. And actually, you know, it, it's that, it's that perseverance that keeps you going mm. until you make it. So, you know, that, that came to me recently. I thought I'd love to have had that conversation. But how ironic that that's possibly one of the most well-remembered speeches in history. Exactly. And it nearly didn't happen because he yeah. nearly did something that he thought was going to be more interesting. But when he defaulted back, I think the other two things that stand out for me from that speech is it was in the 1960s. And we talk about influence and influencers today. You yeah. know, there was no social media. There was no sophisticated communications network. Yet over 250,000 people turned up on that day to listen mm-hmm. to what he had to say. They didn't even know what he was going to say. But a quarter of a million people turned up in the 1960s just to listen to somebody speak. That that's incredible, is, absolutely incredible. Be interested yeah. to know, and uh, how many people of the younger generation would know about Martin Luther King? And I have a dream. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, perhaps it might be a generational thing. It'll be I'll a shame if it does get lost. I said, I'd just be interesting if you said to people, Martin Luther King, they probably might have a recollection or might go, "Oh, yeah." I don't know. It's just fascinating how how you know we're of a similar. Decade-ish. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, yeah. It was a, a very, very powerful yeah. moment. Mm. But no, that would be a, that'd be a great person to, to sit mm. down with. Justin, we appreciate your time. I know you're, you're incredibly yeah, you're busy. That's been an absolutely blinding episode. I've really, really uh, enjoyed your, your company. It's been a lovely morning. Thank you. I, I've loved uh, speaking with you guys as well, especially, you know, the, the, the constant flattery throughout the, the conversation. So thank you so much. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure. So you can go back to school now. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Thanks, lovely. Cheers, cheers. What a lovely chat with uh, Justin this brilliant. morning. Really, brilliant. really nice brilliant. guy. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? As as you said, and it's interesting that he he still feels that sales is a dirty word. It's like, ooh, yeah. we don't sell. But you do but sell. When, but but when he kind of talks selling. about, you know, it's about understanding yourself, taking the other person's point of view, listening. It's not <clears throat> it's not bad stuff, and done well you should be able to get to a stage where you can make a recommendation that will better that person's life. Yeah. yeah. In in some way or other, they're going to be better off as a result of the thing you have. But I also like the bit where he said, but you may not have the right thing for them. It may not be a good fit. So you might signpost them somewhere else. And he said for him, that made him feel less pressurised when Mm. he's talking to people because it means you don't have to make a sale. I think it's super powerful, isn't it? I I know that we do it with, you know, people who want a valuation order and we just say to them, not really too sure you do need a valuation. You need to do something else first before you do that Mm. because you're just having a bad moment. Mm. Uh, Yeah, no, I thought it was brilliant. I thought the bit about rapport was good as well. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and and it's that thing. It it is, it's curiosity, isn't it? Mm. And if you can build rapport with somebody you have a connection. And then when you then start talking about the thing that you want to talk about, there's that heightened mm. level of trust mm. before you get to the thing. Yeah, uh, I'm interested. I yes. think was the, for yes. me, you know, we've, we've always told our guys, haven't we, that, that part of 
probably where we are successful is that we are genuinely interested yeah. in our clients. Yeah. Whatever they're going to do, we're just interested to know what they're going to do, mm. rather than a false interest or a, you know trying to elicit a response to get a sale. Yeah, you're actually just genuinely mm. interested. No, I think I think the listeners are going to take notes on that one. It was a it was a cool no, brilliant, good fun doing. Good yeah. last guy. Thank really you for learned. listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing, and also follow us on Instagram.